Hail and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. We are your hosts. Hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. Hi, I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader near Melbourne, Australia. And I am G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the U.S., And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens and around the globe. Listeners are reminded that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which would be an impossible thing to do. This is episode 30. You may want to take a moment to pause this and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, Introductions, and episode one, Definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. This year for our Sabbath specials, we have been exploring a branch of magic that can be associated with that Sabbath. We know it's not always going to be a perfect fit, but this gives us the opportunity to discuss and explore different magical practices and to think more deeply about how our magic ties into what's going on in the world around us. The more observant of you would have noticed that we didn't push a solstice episode out and that this episode is a little later than we planned. Life got in the way. The plan for the solstice episode was to discuss dancing and coven work. We may decide eventually to go back and cover that at some other time. But meanwhile, we think there's some overlap between the topic of dancing and circle and what we covered in episode 13, which was sex and drugs and rock and roll, and episode 21, which was trans induction. So feel free to check those out if you haven't already. For the cross-quarter Sabbaths of Lamas in the Northern Hemisphere and Imbolg in the Southern Hemisphere, we wanted to focus on practical means of doing magic, chants, rites, spells, and so on. So although over the last 30 episodes, we've focused on a lot of different kinds of witchcraft and different aspects of witchcraft, we haven't specifically discussed spells, although they are arguably what most people think about when they hear that word witchcraft. This is obviously a very wide-ranging topic, but we're going to speak about some practical aspects of spell work, or in short, using magic to accomplish a goal. With that said, today we're going to define some terms around charm spells and energy work, and how to go about spellcraft and get the desired results, as sometimes there is a difference between the results we want and the results we get. All right, so high five, get on the broom, and let's go, witches. I do want to say before we get into it, or maybe as we define it, I want to know how we each define spells or spell work. And I'm also curious, to what extent as coven leaders do you include spell work or teaching spell work, spell craft in your coven, I guess like your beginning curricula or syllabus or or whatnot? So how do we each define spells or spell work? And as a coven leader, to what extent do you teach the practicalities of doing how to spell work to your covens so for me when we talk about spell work it's kind of the process from start to finish and then kind of overarching that and the end process the end goal the resultant for me is the actual spell and then further to that is the actual desired outcome so there's there's almost kind of a, a back and forth there as well. But spell work for me is the whole process from like start to end. And I don't really see there much difference between we mentioned just now in, in the intro about charms. Like I don't really see a lot of difference between spells and charms. There possibly are some small nuances and, and small differences, but you know, to me, I'm always gonna say do a spell. 
it just comes a little bit more natural to me to say do a spell than do a charm kind of thing. With our starting curriculum, a lot of it is based around the ritual of magic and the ritual of witchcraft. We normally teach spells alongside the use of herbs or the use of crystals or the use of those correspondences. We don't really have a set curriculum of teaching spellcraft or spells because I think each spell will be ever so, so slightly different to the next. One spell might include Lords of Herbs. One spell might include Lords of Crystals. If you want to bring in, you know, like planetary magic to your spellcraft and your spell work, there's lots of different layers. And I think teaching those layers first builds that foundation, that good, effective, solid foundation to then work that spellcraft or that magic. I'm going to get in here and be naff and do what a lot of the books do and say a spell is kind of like a recipe but also kind of not. As I've gotten older and evolved into what I am now, I think I see it more as like a roadmap or a marker to point me in the right direction of what I need to do. I'm not very exact always in the work that I do. I think spells are also something that's very driven by the witchy publishing world and online as well. Having just finished a book not long ago one thing that editors are asking for is more spells they want spells at the end of every chapter they want exercises that people can do they want very specific recipe style things because presumably this is what readers want and look for I think they're a good thing to pick up when you're very very new and you're not sure what to do so something very exact is what people look for but I think as you evolve as a witch I think you're less likely to follow like a spell in a book because magic is very personal, as we know. I don't tend to teach spell work in a very particular way for that for those reasons. In my outer court, I teach a little bit about how a spell can be structured, but I don't tend to teach really explicitly, no. Uh, so, so for me, being the religious studies nerd that I am, spell work is the application of magic to bend probability in favor of one's will because that's really what you're doing is you're trying to balance the scale and it's all about playing probability. It's why there's not really spells to win the lottery because the probability of that's just too much to overcome. Whereas an individual spell is the particular event or series of events associated with one particular application of this spell work. That's the way I'm currently defining it subject to change over time and i teach a whole series of classes on the basics of spell work not necessarily the creation of spells that comes later like i teach how to make oils i teach how to bless and dress candles all the different colors and so on and so forth but that's just built into what we do and i teach it because yeah great the person can use it in their individual life but also in coven work I don't want to have to say, hey, go get an appropriate candle or whatever. I want them to know what we're doing while we're doing that which we're doing. It also helps that folk magic is huge in this part of the country. And it's just ingrained into a lot of what my students already know. And so they bring a lot of that knowledge already to the table, albeit in different approaches. One of my seekers used to be with the Golden Dawn or is with the Golden Dawn, which is a different magical approach than a seeker who's big into root work. We can all get on the same page. So do we think that there's a difference then between spell work, spellcraft and ritual? Because if we're saying that a spell is, is almost similar to a recipe, as in it has a predetermined set of specific steps 
kind of thing. I know we've spoken about that's what kind of a ritual is in previous episodes. None of them are jumping to me which which episode numbers. So seekers, you can check those out yourselves. But do we think that there's a massive difference then between ritual and spellcraft or spell work? I do think there's, I don't want to say a massive difference. I think ritual is one way to do spell work. I agree with James's definition wholly that spells are a way of trying to make magic happen, right? Or trying to increase the probability for some outcome that we want by affecting the world around us in some way. And ritual does that as well. If you're using both of them for some desired outcome, then you're raising energy to put towards that desired outcome. And so I do think rituals are one way to do spells because I spent so many years as an Alexandrian. I did I did my stint as like, um, you know, a teenage witch or whatever, and then an eclectic neo-pagan and then I was Alexandrian and so I got very used to ritual-based magic and it wasn't until later like after my third degree that somebody was like you know if you want to do a spell you don't have to do like a whole fucking ritual every time right and I was like oh shit that's a good point which seems ridiculous but I was so used to thinking about magic as like cast circle to follow the template so i don't think that they have to be the same thing i think that rituals are one way to do spells or can please, be one way to do spells please refer to the imaginary venn diagram behind me and it says ritual and spells i'm gonna need you to make one on your phone like with just draw like an ms paint kind of a thing and we'll put it in that's, the, that's we'll so put much it work in the notes. so much work i have to reach over and get my phone find an appropriate app care open, enough to keep doing it wait, i'll open the whiteboard in zoom it'll be just like teaching during the pandemic again and you can just just they can use their visualization <laughs> skills there's a venn diagram now but what's in the middle in the overlappy part overlappy part and therein lies a mystery <laughs> that's that's where you put like success right yeah or like profit right <laughs> step one step two question mark question mark question mark profit ritual spells in the middle profit true will true will oh yeah true will Ooh, that's good. therein but... lies the mystery <laughs> i'll see who's gonna listen to that i think oh there it is there's a mystery <laughs> let me google that oh lord <laughs> Love is the law, folks. So what are some different reasons why witches might do spells? James hinted at it earlier. Well, I say hinted, like outright said it. It's about that balance. It's about tipping that balance to have something a little bit more favorable happen for for you or somebody you love or somebody you know or somebody that you work in witchcraft for. You know, witches will cast spells and do rituals in order to bring about that change. That might be on the physical level, it might be on a more emotional, spiritual level, but it's about tipping those scales. James correctly said there's no spells to win the lottery. There's no spells to find your one true love or your one true soulmate, because that's too much. You know, witches work to the improbable, not the impossible. And to try and come up with a spell to win the lottery is going to be impossible. But we do at least try to tip those scales in our favour. For me, that's that's why witches do spells. Well, so as, as witches, we are empowered to be able to shape the world ourselves and directly. We can manifest about us, cast to the four winds, our will. We don't have to go begging some particular deity. You know, maybe you do incorporate some kind of spirit work into what you're doing, but 
as witches, we're perfectly capable of doing that ourselves. And that's on one hand part of why we do it. And on the other hand, because we get some benefit from it, whether that benefit is, you know, the end results of the spell or just the process itself is, it varies. I think that might be a little bit of a revelation to at least some of our listeners as well, that during spell work and during spellcraft, you don't necessarily have to incorporate a deity. You don't necessarily have to call on the gods. I think if you're doing a full-on ritual work, talking like from a Wiccan perspective now, yes, you would. You would call on the gods. Because spell work and ritual are not necessarily the same thing, you don't have to go through that whole kind of, air quotes, drawn-out process of, of a full ritual. You could just cast a circle if you wanted to. Heck, you don't even need the circle sometimes. Just do the spellcraft. Just do the spell work. And if you don't want to include any deities, then you don't have to. You know, there are witches out there, probably not Wiccan witches as in like BTW, but there are witches out there that don't necessarily subscribe to deities within witchcraft kind of thing. And that's and that's just fine. When in doubt, do witchcraft. <laughs> okay. Except for how often we say mundane before magical. So... We we include that stuff. The mundane's included in witchcraft. Yeah, G, to be Wiccan is to like live your craft. <laughs> Just live your so, craft. So like we're always doing witchcraft by being alive. And okay, so but in seriousness, this is partially true, right? There are lots and lots of people who do witchcraft like in their daily life, right? So one of my coven members is a mom and she talked about how she like stirs protection magic into their oatmeal every morning, for example. Right. So she's doing like little spells all the time. On the other hand, I think when we say like mundane before magical, we also mean like if you need a new job, going directly to witchcraft is not always the best first step, right? The best first step is probably coming up with a plan and doing your resume. And then like once you get rolling, yes, adding witchcraft to your mundane actions can be very useful, but you can't only rely on witchcraft, I guess is sort of what I'm trying to say. I 100% agree with you, but I don't separate the two. Building the plan and putting your resume together are part of the plan for how I'm doing this particular working that includes my witchcraft. However, I get your point. I 100% agree. We can high five on it. We're just drawing that line at different places in the process. James is like, I see you ready to rebut. And I don't want to have this conversation because it's no. I'm, totally... I'm, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. No, I know you I'm, don't. I'm I know you're not disagreeing. I know you're not disagreeing. I got you. And you're just... and you're right. Like if somebody is experienced enough and has is an experienced enough practitioner, then you're absolutely right. Like all of those different pieces can become part of the magic and part of the spell work, right? Yeah. Because Completely. you know, because you know how to do that. Yes. But I do think there are level like earlier levels where people where that people aren't sure how to either raise or manifest or put energy towards those yes. mundane actions. If you don't know how to practically make the two into one system, then please focus on the mundane actions first. Yes. No, I think we're in agreement. Yes, we're definitely in agreement. Um, we always we always say, you know, you also gotta work on the mundane. You know, if and I'm sure I've mentioned this in the in a previous podcast episode as well. If if you're unemployed at the moment and you're doing loads and loads of spell work and witchcraft to get your next job and you're wondering why there aren't there's nothing coming, there's no results, 
then you look at the mundane. Have you sent out CVs? Are you putting your name out there? Are you doing that groundwork? If you're looking for a new partner or whatever, and you want to be in a relationship, you've also got to be out there as well. You've got to be meeting people. If you're doing love work, love magic, you know, bring me, bring me X person, but you're not on the dreaded dating apps or you're not going out meeting people. Nothing's going to work. You know, you, you have to have the magical and mundane balance because the magical side isn't, isn't always going to happen without the backup of, of the mundane as well. You know, you can't yes. be casting spells left, right and centre yeah. and then being like, well, where is he? Where is this man of my dreams? Or where is this woman of my dreams or person of my dreams? Well, you're not speaking to anyone. Like, you need to do the, right. you need to do both. No, no, no. They're not like cast cats. Spell. Just... No, you cast the spell, you sit at your kitchen table with your hands clasped like this and yeah. you just wait. <laughs> cast like... the spell, do the waiting, profit. Like a feral cat just shows up at your door. Like, that's perfect. And you're like, well, okay, if that's what the gods sent me, that's what I'll have. I'll a be the feral cat man. man at my y'all door. Y'all have definitely seen too much practical magic because y'all just <laughs> oh. argued in favor of their methodology so hard. Sorry. Right. Handsome ass sheriff is going to come to my door any day now for a crime that I committed. You've mentioned it now as well, James. That's it. I need to watch it. I'm going to put it on tonight. My goodness. Yeah, I'm going to put it on. So, We've done 30 episodes. Surely we deserve some practical magic. Anyway, sorry. Hold it. Hold on to it because we said next year our Sabbath specials are going to be like doing movies. James says, and you know, accurately that, you know, witches do spells all the time for lots of stuff. What about, is there any difference to you or in practice for you between individual spell work and coven spell work momentum boom that's probably the big one but then there's also a support network there so generally emergency spell work is not the best spell work but in those cases where you have to do it because you can be focused on the mundane and not have time to take care of whatever spell work the support network other people can do it. I have a handful of people I have done this for or vice versa where it's like, oh shit, I got to go to the hospital and take care of Blank. I don't have time to throw some healing work down, a quick text message or two, and I know there are other people on it and vice versa. It's part of the Coven support network. Now, I know that's not necessarily what we're getting at, but there's more oomph when there's 15 people charging a battery versus one. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I will say there's been occasions where I have chosen specifically to do work myself. So all of this situation I've been in with buying my house, which has been a whole thing, I did sort of ask people if they had, you know, extra time or energy or whatever. But most of the spell work I've done myself because I just didn't, I didn't feel like I could adequate, like there's so many problems popped up in the middle of this process that I felt like keeping up with them all. And addressing them and the way that they needed to be addressed was so hyper specific that I just felt like it was easier to manage myself than to try and get a whole group's intentions and understanding and energy sort of behind that. However, you know, there have been a lot of other things where coven spell work has come in handy, like if somebody in the coven is sick or recently we had to do spell work for somebody who had a a family member pass away in like violent circumstances and they had to stay in that house so like the whole line got involved and did like every coven at around the same time 
did a working together to try and clear that space to help them out. So there, there are different ways there. When we needed, when we were looking for new coven members, right, we like put out a call we sort of like lit the candle. And so like that was very helpful. So there are certain things that I think coven spellwork can be particularly useful for. Do you find methodology for coven versus individual spellwork is the same? The basic skills in both are the same, but getting everyone involved as a participant in both takes a different approach. You know, the the oomph we were talking about that increased work towards probability works if you actually have the group uh, synergy towards the work. But if half of you are, you know, fucking off the mental land and staring at make-believe, then you might not get as much effect as you could. So... The basic skills are the same, in my opinion, but the approaches are, are slightly different. Um, but that's really getting into coven craft. Well, then you're getting into things like egregore as well, which, as you would know, if listeners, if you listen to episode Binkity Bump, that the egregore or the shared magical atmosphere of your coven flavors everything. My work with covens is very um, needs of the many. So, of course, it's going to be very different to what you do on your own. It will depend on what everyone's interested in and what their strengths are, for sure. I'm just doing a little bit of a Google, a little bit of a search to see which episode number it was. And I think it was episode 26 where we spoke about egregores, just so listeners can uh, can get straight there. I would have but I do binkity bunk. Yeah, I do. I, I think that should be the title of our next episode. Episode binkity boop. <laughs> Fake Welsh. Don't make me come down there. <laughs> You've just given her great incentive to keep on. Good job. See, this is my plan. It was like reverse psychology. <laughs> so we've chatted, given some background on spell work, and I think it would behoove us to talk a little bit for our listeners who maybe uh, aren't as familiar about the practical aspects of doing spell work, right? Because we see in every community constant I need a spell to do X. And it's clear when people make these things up that they are looking for somebody to give them a recipe, right? They want somebody to give them a ready to go, ready to implement spell. And there are people who's, who that's their business model, right? Where they do that or where they cast spells for other people, which is which is fine. That's That's their business. But if somebody really wants to do spell work, how could they be thinking about this? So I will start by saying there's an article I read several years ago now that I highly recommend. We'll link it in the notes. It's called Making It So, Seven Steps to Effective Spells by Jenya T. Beachy. It was published in the author's Patheos blog, Dirt Hearth Witch, in 2015. And it's really excellent. I, I like it not just for the Picard reference, but also because it's a really nice like seven-step guide to what you should think about when you're thinking about crafting a spell. And I use this to frame out my own class that I teach students on how to craft spells, but I don't want to like reiterate the whole thing here. So I would just encourage folks to go take a look at that article. There are a couple specific points I think it'd be worth us discussing, which is she encourages in the second step for people to meditate on 
why don't you have that thing? And so why do we think that would be useful? Like in in what way is that useful when you're thinking about Spellcraft? It makes you think about the wider world and the wider systems that you are operating within. Sometimes the answer to that question is just capitalism, but it also obviously makes you reflect more on yourself and your position and the fact that you don't exist in a vacuum and like our choices have consequences as well. I think as well, we can forgive seekers and we can forgive practitioners who are at their early stages of asking for spells and asking for rituals because a lot of seekers and a lot of people who are, who are new into the craft and new into witchcraft in general don't want to mess it up. Like like they, they want to make sure that they've got the proper recipe outlined for them and then they can they can follow our recipe and boom, they've got that square pizza with pineapple on, for example. I'm just waiting for the laughs. There, there they are. <laughs> so I think we we can forgive seekers for wanting uh wanting already made spells. But then as you learn and as you as you deepen your knowledge of planets, herbs, crystals, timings, the seasons, whatever, you you get to incorporate all of that. And you get to kind of form your own basis for your own magical spell work as well. So I'm not saying that asking for spells is bad. I'm not saying asking for spells is good. But there's also that element of of responsibility. You know, start start reading. You know, make a spell that just incorporates crystals one at one time. Then do one for candles. Then do one for crystals. I said crystals, herbs, and then do one that combines all three. And you'll find your own path. You'll find your own groove. You know, unless unless you're really deep into it, you're not really going to mess anything up. Nothing's going to come after you. No one's going to, you know, jump out from you with certain ritual tools from bushes. That, that's not going to happen. It's not happening. So, yeah, just just go for it. Just experiment. I think, I think that's what really boils down to. Wicca is an experiential, but also an experimental religion, craft practice there seems to be this thing with seekers where people are worried about like unleashing like something bad yeah the worst that can happen if you fuck up a spell is nothing the worst that will happen is that it won't work if witches really could like bring about monsters from like the dungeon dimensions by fucking up their magic. Like I've met a few shit witches. I was a shit witch for a really long time and I still kind of am most days. My front lawn would be crawling with these things, right? The worst that can happen is nothing. You're gonna muck things up. Mm. And you and you need to. Especially as a, a young learning witch. It's going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. Spells aren't going to work. You're going to have unintended uh, second and third order effects, so on and so forth. And learning to work through that, you will learn more about your craft than had it worked perfectly the first time. You will also get candle wax on your carpet. You'll probably set off a smoke alarm at least once. This is normal and fine. We could do a whole episode on just getting candle wax out of different kinds of fabrics and and um, materials. But I do think I want to go back. So in terms of, you know, why don't you already have it too, right? Like the other piece there is in, in what regard are you getting in your own way, right? Is it 
Like, do you not have a new job yet because like you have a shit attitude? And so like you keep bombing interviews because then all the spell work in the world might not make you like a decent human being who people want to be around. Right. So maybe fix that first. But I do think when people talk about what they're nervous about yes there is a shocking amount of like i've accidentally attracted negative energy in my life but there's also a lot of those second and third order consequences that james was mentioning and like i get such a i don't want to put it that way but you know you always hear stories like someone cast a spell for their boss to leave them alone like stop harassing them at work and then their boss like dropped dead or like someone cast a spell that they really wanted to like move into a specific apartment, like to get this specific apartment. And the people who lived in that apartment like ended up getting arrested and evicted, right? So then they got their apartment. And I think that's, those are the like salacious, juicy stories that people hear about spells working, but in an unintended way that people get scared about, right? Like if I cast a spell for my ex to leave me alone, then, you know, I'm very worried. Not only am I worried about like, you know, then somebody's going to like run him over with a car, but I'm also worried about karmically, right? Because they're very obsessed. People are very obsessed with this idea of like this threefold law, which we talked about in our ethics episode of like, how is that going to come splash back on me? And so those are the pieces that I think I would encourage people to let go of. Those are the consequences that I think I would encourage people not to stress about too much. And the reason why is because if you are such a powerful witch that you casting like one of your beginning spells manages to get your boss killed, then, you know, you are an incredible human being. Like, I just don't think most of us starting out have that kind of oomph behind our spells. I personally believe coincidences happen. I personally believe accidents happen. I don't think we need to look for special magical woo-woo reasons behind everything. And so I think, you know, when we hear those stories and everybody knows a guy who knows a guy who this happened to, right? But when we hear those stories, I, I would encourage us to not let those kinds of fears get in the way of our experimentation. There may be unintended consequences to your spellcasting, but you have to fuck around and find out if like witchcraft is something that you want to actually practice. So I agree. We tend to be limited by our own skills and abilities. Um, you know, your your spells are only going to work to a level of competency that you can put out. So, yeah, beginner spells are going to be beginner spells. You're not going to be busting out the, you know, guy with 50 years of experience behind them on your first go. And I think a question that some of our seekers might be that, that might be popping into their heads right now is well, what is the difference then between a beginner spell and a and a more advanced spell? And I think James hit the nail on the head there. It, it's the experience. You know, you've got to have the experience to to make that more advanced spell. You know, if you've got a practitioner of witchcraft or magic with one year's worth experience and somebody else who has 10, 20, 30 odd years, then it's more than likely probable that that person with 20, 30 odd years worth of experience has just that and therefore has more, more knowledge to draw upon. But it's only by, by the doing that you gain that experience. 
if you're worried about getting those lawn demons up that Josie mentioned earlier, you know, don't worry about it. Just do your magic. And probably the worst thing that's going to happen is nothing will happen. And then you try something else. Send out those CVs, get on those dating apps, you know, go make new friends kind of thing. It's about balancing those two elements of, of magic and mundane. Look at why it didn't work and learn from it. I think experience brings you greater focus. It brings you more tools in your toolbox, especially people who do work with spirits, right? They've made more connections. There's more knowledge there, maybe in terms of choosing the associations that you want to pull in and like utilize for your craft. So I, you know, I do think that's sort of where the experienced practitioner has has a leg up, but you only learn those things by trying it, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, and going from there. And trying over an extended period of time. It's not one or the other. You're not a beginner or experienced. You know, this is something we're always kind of growing and, and moving on along along this scale or within this cycle. Thorn Mooney is a really good resource here, her second book talks about being a beginner to be getting more advanced and what what that actually means and also if you consider yourself advanced what you can do sort of next as a witch and where you can take your witchcraft and your magic it's a really good resource but that's why it's called a craft and crafts are for practicing it's, it's the art magical the magic's in the doing going back to that original article she also says in her third step to make a plan and there are lots of different things that you can consider when you're making a plan i have my own personal checklist of making a plan like is it something i want to do one time only and just let it work or is it something that like is going to take multiple steps like we talked earlier about job searching writing a resume is one step and and this and that, what kind of like accoutrement I want to add to it. Somebody, Peter mentioned crystals and herbs and candles and so on. So those are sort of part of the plan, but there's a lot of different things that can go into your planning as well. So planned magic tends to be more effective magic because you, you've thought through not just the process, but how it all fits together. So I, I kind of have a, like you have a checklist. I have a distinct way of thinking about um, approaching spell work. And one of the first things I look at is how can I tie together what I'm looking at through the different levels of existence? How do I get from the empirical causal through the operational of the fundamental levels? How do I tie that all together? All of them, not just one, because mental magic tends to stay mental, and I don't want it to just only manifest in a mental aspect. I want it to manifest here. So I need to tie them all together. Um, I also ensure that whatever I'm doing includes energy, some form of spirit work, and uh, mental psychological work, all with a clear target with a foothold in the material plane. And so I kind of map all that out, and whatever my plan is needs to fit that entire box and approach. That way when I'm coming at something, I'm coming at it like a boulder down a hill yeah if you're nervous about practicing spellcraft and magic and witchcraft and wicca and whatnot make a plan make sure that you have that recipe in front of you make sure you've got it laid out step by step right i'm gonna do this and do that and do that if at the very least it does nothing but make you think about what's going in and what is the process what is the end goal you know it's, it, it'll also be there in front of you to refer back to you know, if anybody's ever done any public speaking, 
you're probably going to have notes in front of you just to glance down at, just to keep that momentum going, just to keep that confidence going. And a lot of witchcraft and wicca and spell work is about having that conviction of doing something. We've mentioned it numerous times already. It's about the doing. So yeah, get a plan together and then follow that plan. If you go off piece, fine. You know, you don't have to stick to it. But that can be part of the actual spell itself, right? It's those those preliminary steps. Even thinking, do I really need to do this is the start of a spell or it can be. Um, My first high priestess used to say, before you do anything, go and wash the dishes have a good think about it that's pretty good advice actually and also just as a means of making sure that you don't have anything else on your plate that you're sort of thinking about when you really need to be focused on what you're trying to do Um, dishes it's got so many levels so many different things there's a lot of different if you want to really get into planetary magics like you could make a very detailed plan, not only in the way that James is talking about, but in terms of like all of the various correspondences, like <laughs> I'm going to do this on Thursday, which is Jupiter's day. Cause I'm doing money magic, right? Like you could do it like that. You could also like, look at where the solar cycle is. You could look at where the moon cycle is. What did I fuck up, James? What was that? No, no, no. You, you just poke things. Cause then you can start combining planetary hours. With exactly. Planetary days yes. And be like, mm-hmm. not only is this, money magic that we're going to do on thursday because of the day of but then you can use some of the other planets and, and their associations tie those in as well yes just depending absolutely on how yes and i do not have time or energy for that personally but i know lots of witches who are very into it and will set alarms to wake up in the middle of the night because that is the right planetary hour to do their spells And that's fine, right? It's really about like, what kind of a plan do you want to make? What makes sense to you about what you think is going to add extra oomph to your spell to move your plan forward, to move your, your outcome forward. Moon cycle is the most common one. I feel like that is that people go to, right? Like if the moon is waning, then you're trying to like get rid of something or like banish something. If the moon is waxing, you're trying to like grow something or bring it in the moon is full you get the most sort of bang for your buck as it were and if you wanted to follow like one outcome through the whole moon cycle you could during the waning moon sort of banish self-doubt at the new moon sort of start fresh with a clean slate waxing moon start the job search and then at the full moon just sort of like have a really big oomph of like you sent out like 20 resumes or something like that right that is that is not a good plan. Don't follow that plan. But it's just an example of the way that somebody could do a working through the whole moon cycle towards the same outcome, but just sort of shifting the way that they're thinking about it a little bit. And I feel like that's very common with uh, like neo-pagan witches because we tend to be very lunar focused anyway. And also, if you're going to like include planetary magic within your plan, use technology to your advantage. Like I'll pop it in the show notes, but there's There's a website that I use, astrology.com.tr, which offers services to like work out the planetary hour, the planetary day based on your location. There's moon phases. There's loads and loads. You know, if you want to, you can really buy books that give you the hour. But then you've got to do a lot of maths. And I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to I'm just going to crunch some numbers into this website and boom there. I need to do it on this day at this hour. And yeah, sometimes it'll give you like 3 a.m. And you're like, oh, no. But then if you go like a couple of hours 
I think it might be 12-ish hours, it'll give you a, a, a daytime as well. And if that just so happens to be when you're working, then sorry, you've got to set an alarm for 3 a.m. and you've got to get up at that time. So there's an app for that that I use called Planetary Times. And it uses your GPS to update everything to where you're physically located, time of year, so on and so forth. And it will bust out all the planetary hours of the day. You can set alarms based on it, so on and so forth. And you can look at and be like, oh, Venus falls, whatever. So like right now we're in the planetary hour of Venus and we move to Mercury next. And Mercury starts at 8.38 a.m., my time yeah i've got i've got like moon apps on my phone because you know which wiccan the moon uh but i don't have any planetary ones yet i'm literally just scrolling through the app store right now and i'm like oh okay i will note that for later i will say people who are looking for a moon app i personally feel that deluxe moon is the best moon app out there if anybody wants one i have one i don't know which one i have but also like forgive me for my ignorance, but don't they all really do roughly the same thing? Does if you can pay a ten a tenner for one of them and a free one, and I'm sure they have roughly the same information. It's gonna tell you when the waxing is, or when the full is, or when the first quarter is. You know, yeah. don't don't go out spending loads of money on these apps because if you can find a free one, I'm all for the freebies. It's really about how much information you want. Like if you care about yeah. whether or not the moon is in Libra. And to oh. what degree it's in Libra, or if it's void, of course, then like you're gonna need an app that's willing to give you that information. I think definitely. And if you just want the basic information of what face the moon's in, go outside and have a look. Goodness <laughs> sake, that's true. And and if I ever need to know when the moon is void or when it's like Mercury retrograde, I've just got to look on Twitter because there's hundreds of people oh my god it's, <laughs> it's mercury retrograde today no wonder my life is going to hell i'm like shut up shut up so stupid but the thing is right and i don't want to lose too much time on here but humans need things to blame right we want something to blame it's just human nature like we're teachers right how many of us feel like when the full moon is out everybody all of a sudden has something to say about student behavior right but nurses you know will say go, the same thing i'm gonna go a step further with that with teaching children, it's also if it's too hot or too cold, if it's windy or it's raining, or a fly flies into the classroom. God forbid a fly flies in. Ah, oh, you're done. You're done. But but no, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like we like we like to blame our things on other people and they will be our first like port of call. Oh no, no, it's not my fault. This isn't my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And I think a lot of witchcraft and wicca teaches you personal responsibility. Like if you're unhappy with something and you have the means to change it, then change it. You know, the amount of times I've sat down with new initiates or or even like current initiates and, and I've said, well, okay, fine. All of this is happening. What are you doing about it? Are you are you just going to sit and complain or are you going to do the work, capital W, kind of thing? And I can just see their faces like, look, I don't want you to give me solutions I just want all the problems. And I'm like, don't don't come complaining to me because I'm not going to be sympathetic. If you can change it, change it. Rant over. But that's why we have this market also for like, you can buy spells 
from Instagram. Yeah. Now, like yeah. there are people who do it for you. So in our coven um, group chat, somebody shared some spell that they got like marketed to on Instagram and it was um, spell to get your ex and it was $50. And I was like, Psh, I can get your ex back with get me a cheesecake, get me a big net. I reckon I could do it for half the money. <laughs> I love that. Why the fuck do you want your ex back? Right. Yeah. That like they're an ex for a reason. Just come just on, move on. Get rid of the dead weight. People have got to start making better. Tra- I will say, I saw somebody. Now we're getting really off topic. I saw somebody on Reddit <laughs> who was like, "I need a spell to make my ex fall in love with me desperately, not because I actually want them back, but I want that motherfucker to want me so I can reject them." And I was like, "Damn, Ooh. that's you are bitter." I don't know whether to refer them territory. to uh, step two, step two of the beachy article, or those opening scenes of Practical Magic with the pigeon and the, the yeah. Pigeon. Be careful what you wish for. I thought you were gonna say refer them to therapy. Oh, I, also that's, that. oh no. I think that's what witchcraft. I said. Witchcraft, <laughs> just witchcraft, James. Who needs therapy? Let's just do some shadow work. What could go wrong? No, we all need therapy. Shadow work <laughs> is therapy. That's what it is. Shadow work is a code either for doing four years of Jungian like study or just finding a fucking therapist. A good one. Okay, well, that, that was like fun. a lot of time and effort. <laughs> Can't we just blame somebody else and move on? <laughs> it is a depressing amount of time and effort to find a therapist. We have a really broken system right now. I'm genuinely upset. But okay. So we talked about, again, there are seven steps in this article. I would encourage you to go read it. We will link it in the notes. Um, We talked about step two. Why don't you have that thing? And step three, make a plan. Steps five and six in this article are to act. So to me, like the important point of like actually acting and like making the spell go is to think about how often you're doing the spell, how often you want to like reactivate it. Are you making offerings? Those kinds of things. So thinking about like what physical actions you're taking during the spell and during the life of the spell, right? Because oftentimes like we cast a spell, but we don't expect the result tomorrow. It's something for like more of a process. And so I often think of that as an important piece of my sort of additional planning i'm not doing step four in the chest but step four there's seven steps i'm not reading the article out loud i was just highlighting things that i thought needed additional explanation if we're not going to talk about step four can you just mention what step four is because i know the listeners are going to be like wait wait they said step three now they're talking about step five and six what about step four I will give a quick, okay, so step one in Beachy's article on Patheos was self-reflection. Step two, why don't you have it? Step three, make a plan. Step four, think about who can help you. And in this case, they do talk about like allies, friends, teachers, humans, and non-humans. So then we get into like the spirit work kind of thing. Step five is actually acting. And step six is doing a small something towards your desire each day. Mm -hmm. or each week in a way that makes sense to you. And step seven is being thoughtful and uh, respectful, instill everything with the possibility of success. So like just sort of keeping the right mentality about it, which I do think is useful. I would personally like to add a caveat to think about who can help you. And it is this, and maybe you guys will think I'm being overly paranoid. If you are asking people for help with your spell work, you need to really think about whether or not you and them 
have the same understanding of what you want, right? For example, if you're doing a spell for a new job and you want, you know, your friends to help you with that, really think about if you and your friends have the same idea of what you would be good at doing, or if you're doing a spell for a new lover and you want your friends to help you really think about whether or not you and your friends have the same idea of who would be the right person for you. Because I do think that that if you're working group magics and not everybody actually has the same focus in mind, I do think that it can fuck it up personally. And I think that if it's personal for you, you want to really be sure that everybody who's working with you on that doesn't have a different idea about what's good for you. Because oftentimes the people in our lives have very confused ideas. Healing magic, fine. Like we all, like we know what that is, right? But I feel like there are things that are personal where people can have a very different idea. I 100% was about to use healing magic as an example (laughs) of one of these things. Oh, really? Okay, go ahead, go ahead. ahead. Sometimes people, when they think about healing, they're like, oh, healing broken bones, growth, so on and so forth. Sometimes I don't want the thing to grow because cancer, tumor, so on and so forth. So you really got to dig into more specifics and make sure everyone's on the same page. Yeah, that's a super good point. And I didn't even think about saying that because I know everybody, like if I'm doing coven work, then I know that we all have a firm understanding, but you're absolutely right that that's really important. And it's also really important to make sure that we all have the understanding that we've talked about before of like, just because sometimes healing magic can mean like death is the best possible outcome and somebody staying alive longer is actually more suffering, right? So like, that's another way to think about that. So that's a really good point, James, like that you have to be specific about, are you experienced, like you want something to grow, you want something to shrink, like what you want the immune system to attack, like what are you envisioning? Good point. I think that kind of links us back to heaven spell craft versus you as an individual spellcraft. If your coven is completely on board with what you're doing and they completely understand the context, then yeah, go for it. But if you have a large enough coven where there might be two or three people that are a little bit uncertain, it might be better off you doing it on your own or just reiterating steps like this. This is what I'm aiming for. It means X, Y, Z. If not everybody's on board, then maybe that does need to be a very individual ritual or a very individual spell. In terms of talking about your magic too, there's a little bit to be said. We've spoken before about silence. Some witches believe that it's not always great to talk about magic after you've done it until that magic has come into effect. Different people adhere to this to different degrees, but it is worth thinking about before you go around asking everybody for help or telling everybody what you're doing. Yeah, it's kind of like a problem shared is a problem halved. Right. But when that comes to magical practice, the more people that know about what you're doing, the more their energy might actually influence what you're doing as well, which could be a good thing, could be a a negative thing. You know, but yeah, that's that's a really good point, Josie. Do you how do you where do you all fall on that? Do you feel that? Do you agree with that concept that if you talk about your your witchcraft, your spellcraft, it sort of undermines or weakens it in some way? I think for me, it it depends on the person. Like, if I'm speaking to the coven about it, I would like to think that the coven at large is aligned with my best interests as well. So they would be fine in, in knowing about certain stuff, especially if they were there. You know, if this was a coven spell, then yeah. If it was to somebody outside the coven, 
then there's really two categories. There's initiates and non-initiates. I think I would be fine talking to other initiates of, of, of my choosing about certain spells and certain rituals and witchcraft that I've done. But other other people, no, probably not. Probably not. Just, you know, because there's there's that element of embarrassment as well, isn't it? And And I think, you know, people do fear if I speak to this person and their, en- their energy is negative, then that might negatively affect the outcome, the desired outcome. So I think, yeah, I, I would be I would be fine discussing what I've done with others that were there, definitely. And then it's kind of on a sliding scale. So it's a game of probabilities anyway. And so all you're doing is putting yet another variable out there. And so, yeah, you could undermine... But at the same time, you could make it more likely to succeed. It all depends on the situation, what's going on, what you're talking about, who you're talking to, so on and so forth. I tend not to, just as general habit. But it's really, like I said, it's it's a game of probabilities. And if you can control more variables, you're more likely to succeed. There's also a little bit of sort of what people like Jason Miller and Aidan Wachter talk about where... They talk about once you've finished a working, you act as though it has succeeded. You push it, you push the magic out of your mind and you just act as though it has succeeded. And this thinking, they say, helps the thing to actually work and to push it into motion. So I think that comes into play too. I think I'm sort of in Peter's camp here. I talk to people I'm very close to in my coven about my magic and not really anybody else. I'm like such an external processor. So it takes a lot of work for me to not talk about things that I do with people because I just, that's how I function in life. But yeah, I do think it's an interesting and a really useful part of that to know, to dare, to will, to keep silent, um, which is pyramid. I think it's a really good skill to learn. Okay. So that is just a further elaboration on a few of the seven points in this article that I would encourage people to read about. We are running close to time because Josie has to go to bed soon. There are some other kinds of things because I did say that we would talk about specific terms like charms and sigils and whatever. So of the list that I've got here, or are there anything else that people want to talk about that can be sort of like parts of spells or now that I mentioned she has to go to bed, Josie's yawning, that can be like parts of spells or add-ons to spells that anybody sort of wants to talk about. I think one of the tips that I can give when we talk about things like amulets and talismans, I learned this really recently, and I say really recently, like within the past year, I was always confused. What is the actual purpose of an amulet? What is the actual purpose of a talisman? And I forget when I read it, but it was like talismans towards, amulets away. So I was like, ah, okay. So talismans bring stuff to you if you want to attract something to you then use a, use a talisman. If you want to send something away, which could be a little bit more protective, possibly use an amulet. And I, I was like, yeah, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. That kind of makes sense to me. A lot of it's going to be, you got to look at the speaker because English is mm. horrible at having specific meaning with our words, especially with magical words that come from folk magic or the grimoire traditions or wherever it, it comes from yeah. where all the practitioners couldn't agree on what the word meant anyway. <laughs> and so for us to try to narrow, uh, narrow it down and concretely define it today just becomes really hard with some of the words such as the difference between amulet and, and talisman. Mm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's like pers- personal notice 
gnosis gnosis i never know whether g is silent the yeah g, like the g is silent. like gnostic mass gnostic mass gnostic mass gnostic. yeah per- personal gnosis for me yeah I'm, I'm i'm gonna stick with talismans towards amulets away <laughs> i mean i think that's worthwhile and i think also now that you think that you would have to use that right because otherwise yeah you're gonna be shooting yourself in the foot if you tried to use it differently i tend to think of amulets and talismans as almost interchangeable because they're like a physical often symbolic token and so to me the g is silent when she's not externally processing which is almost never so to me amulets and talismans is like almost interchangeable similar with like charms and incantations like i don't know man like you're saying the thing and it's maybe it rhymes like whatever so i do think i think james is spot on like people toss around these terms they all come from like very strange like cultural places and mean specific things within maybe the system that you're practicing Mm -hmm. and that's probably like the most important piece there's been a lot of stuff out there on sigils uh because it's very sigils are very popular right now sigils sigils are so hot right now there's a lot of work out there on sigils a lot of people have done episodes on sigils anybody want to talk make mention i think sigils are so personal as well like yes you can use the runes you can use the you know like oh um you can use any number of magical writing systems to make to make a sigil but a sigil for me is almost like a physical representation of the outcome not always but like most of the time so you could make you could take a deity name you could write it down in a magical alphabet you kind of overlay them overlay those characters and then you've got some sort of magical sigil that connects you with that deity that's also really specifically personal to you because we all four of us might sit down and write i don't know isis in the same magical alphabet but we will all come up with a slightly different sigil which is going to be personal to us they'll all work they'll all still help you build that connection with isis but they will be very very personal and gee you're right there's been articles written there's been books like loads and loads of books that have been written about sigils that have pre-made sigils but i suppose that takes us back to like the spellcraft it is going to be much more effective if it's personal to you so yes Take inspiration from the sigils that are out there. Take inspiration from spells that are that are freely available in the myriad of of spell books and witchcraft books these days. But then change it up and make it your own as well. So I think the only thing I would say is make a sigil really personal to you. So I don't know that I agree that a, a personal or personally created sigil is necessarily always going to be more effective because sometimes you'll have centuries of mm, yeah no that's true of, of momentum behind a particular sigil or symbol you don't need to go and personalize that it's already got what you're going to plug into mm. um, but I, I do think that a lot can be said for both and that's really part of the planning process of what works best in this particular working i'm putting together i think any form of magic that doesn't involve expensive props and ingredients is always going to be both popular and powerful and it's probably powerful because it's popular and because so many people are using it um if you take that terry pratchett kind of view of like belief gives power but i really need all the planetary seals made in the original metals yeah and and need it yeah you don't you don't. Get off Etsy. I, you don't. I, I know. I know. I'm, Get off Etsy. <laughs> Get off Etsy. <laughs> I, I, I can have a 
I can have a, a sun seal that works just as good not made of gold as one that is. I'm in this horrible place where I now watch Foolish Fish's like esoteric books thing. He does a thing every week about all the new things in the occult scene and it comes on on Saturday morning here. So I watch it like Saturday morning cartoons and be like, ooh, there's a shiny thing that I don't have. Really bad. You don't need stuff to do magic, people. Yeah, but what if we want it? Not need. I mean, there's there's that there's that toss up, right? You don't need it, but if I want all of the all of the rocks and all of the herbs, I, I mean, I, I'm allowed them, right? There are reasons why we're Alexandrian. <laughs> You're allowed Al- them. You can have one. Alexandrians are we like shiny one a day. things. We do one like shiny things. One a day. One herb a day, one crystal a day, because you didn't say it had to be different every day. That's a new, a new thing every day. A, not new, just... a new thing. <laughs> but this is we... really true, right? Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, we do not condone, listeners, all of you now going out and buying the rarest of crystals no. from Crystals UK or, or whatever your local crystal shop is and all of the herbs, you do know. Do what you want. Right. If yeah, you can and, afford it. And like Josie said, sometimes the most effective magic is the magic that you create where you have nothing. You know? And, yeah. And some of this came about too. Like, why would herbal sachets like why is dallying and herbs seen as such like a traditional like witch thing? Because until like urbanization, everybody had an herb garden or everybody could go out to a forest or like wild thought, pick out some wild herbs and use that in your spellcraft. Like that was very simple. And so that was very cheap, right? Making tinctures, like most people had the knowledge of how to do a tincture. So it was very popular magic. So yes, things that are simple and easy and cheap are going to be popular. I also think it really impacts the way that we do spells. I quite like charms and talismans. I like stuff. I like physical tokens of my spellcraft. Like for me, my spells are more effective when I can physically tune into it, like have a constant reminder. So I'm refocusing my thoughts all the time. So I do like carrying, like making a little charm or something that I've charged with an intention that I'm carrying around with me. But like, I assume Peter, like your spellcraft involves a lot more herbal sachets or like blessing oils with specific purposes because you love you know it does dallying in plants <laughs> right exactly right so like I think you know your preferences your interests because I've said before and I still feel very firmly like if you are one of these witches who manages to be super into like rocks crystals <laughs> herbs talismanic symbolic like all of the different kinds of magics god bless you like i do not have time for that shit so you know there are certain things that i'm much more interested in that i have put energy towards and so my spellcraft reflects that pattern and so i think you know lean into that but it is also good to sort of you know sometimes think about if you wanted to do fertility magic and you don't usually work with plants plants are a great way to to do fertility spells so that's something to think about Mm -hmm. what i do want to add really quickly is if you are going out wild crafting and you're foraging for herbs to use in your spellcraft, please, please, please get a good book. Take the book with you. Do extensive research. You do not want to mix up yarrow with 
the other plant that I always forget its name, water, water something. We call it here in the UK. And and that that gives no context. I'm just saying water something. But there's a really specific herb that looks very specific, that looks really similar to yarrow. You don't want to confuse those because one of them is poisonous. And if you're going to use that, that, you know, again, poisonous in the dosage. Yeah, I know that. But please get a local foraging book that's that's native to your country so that you're not confusing it with other plants because yeah that could that could land you in hot waters and a trip to a and e or your local poison control department that is excellent advice thank you and don't put essential oils directly on your skin and if you get very excited about crystals and rocks maybe double check because some of the ones that people are super into or like put in their water to charge their water when they're added to water, they release ions that can be problematic and kind of toxic. And some of the ones people are super into are like a little bit radioactive. I'm just very concerned that people who are very into rocks and crystals aren't paying attention to the way that they react chemically with other substances. And so mm. like maybe just watch a couple chemistry videos or like understand how compounds work because I think some of you might be poisoning yourselves accidentally. So I would just check that out if I were you but that's neither here nor you can be into rocks but don't put the rocks in you that yeah that's really solid right do not oh my god I'm thinking about like that super porous stone that Gwyneth Paltrow had people like putting in their vaginas and what a horrible idea that was but anyway don't oh, put rocks god. into you is a really good but um, also like some of the some of the crystals are like water soluble like selenite yeah. This will will dissolve in water. Yes. And then like if you don't know that, like cell night looks pretty. You can get them in like heart shapes, you can get them in like whatever shapes. Looks pretty. And if you don't know that this can actually dissolve, it's going into your water, you're drinking that. Again, you know, please, please, please check on the solubility. Is that yes. the word? Yes. The solubility of crystals. And it will kill you. Like the yeah. ion that forms when selenite dissolves in water will is very toxic. So that's is exactly what I'm trying to say. And like those salt lamps also, by the way, if people aren't aware, salt lamps, if it gets humid, right, they release ions into the air and it has and can kill your pets. So like, again, be very cautious about what the fuck you're doing because things look pretty, but they can be very problematic. I have licked my friend's salt lamp. Maybe I won't now. <laughs> Well, I think licking your friend's salt lamp is different than if you were like a seven pound cat inhaling. Yeah. Right. So like that's okay. a very different sort of a problem. But anyway. But do you need to follow our advice though? Yes. Do Yeah. Maybe don't lick random things is really good advice. <laughs> don't. Fine. Don't, don't, God. Eat, God. don't eat random <sighs> mushrooms. Don't put random <gasps> plants that you found. Yeah. Be very cautious. Come for the witchcraft discussion get like a whole talking down don't do this don't do that don't pick the mushrooms don't pick the plants don't put crystals inside of your vagina don't We're do all these confusing, things confusing because we also said earlier fuck around and find out but i <laughs> i fear that sometimes Safely. you can only fuck Safely. around and find out one time <laughs> yeah there's there's a there's a quote i think that i've shared in the past on on the on our podcast as well about all mushrooms are edible but only some mushrooms are edible once and I'm like, yeah, true. It's like very true. Death, death cap, you eat them that one time, and you're probably gonna die. So it's a terrible quote. 
Mm. Right. Yeah, yes. it is a Terry Pratchett quote. Yeah. Get Crazy. get a get a good food box that are local to your country. Because, you know, if you live if you live in America or you live in Canada or anywhere else, like your native plants are gonna be slightly different to the ones that I get here in Wales in the UK kind of thing. Fuck around and find out within the parameters of safety. Right. Yes. yes. Make yes. a plan, do your research. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have definitely gone off track i will mention quickly deity work because a lot of us do work with deities if that's something you want to do you can combine it with these things if i'm traveling i hang a talisman on hermes peter might make an incense blend specific to a god and then burn that incense blend to that god as part of his ritual work for example and so on uh okay moving on because this episode is getting long why did we decide to talk around talk about this topic around this these past cross quarter holidays at Imbolc and Lamas. Well, Imbolc is the butter festival, and Lamas is the bread festival. And by making a spell, you're following a recipe to make the sandwich that's going to. No, I've lost. I don't know. Someone better answer that. That that was excellent. I, I want you, you to were continue doing on so well. But the magic so well. is like. Like cooking and all those other things. However, um, I don't know how many times we said they're, they're transition times. And transition times and spell work and liminal spaces, it all just, they hold hands and do a circle dance. Yeah. Also, we had to assign things to Sabbath. So, you know, we were just doing our best to get as close as possible. So, but no, I mean, this is, we are collecting, we are manifesting. I, and like, as a general rule of thumb, as a coven, we don't, do spellcraft during during Sabbath work. We will either celebrate the Sabbath or we will do spellcraft. Very rarely will we do both. But Imolg and Lunasa being the Celtic fire festivals is a time when I feel, you know, apart from during the full moon, when else can we do spells? When else can we do witchcraft if it's not at the at the greater fire festivals? You know, it is it is about that liminal time. And it is about catching that that thing with your spellcraft at that person at that time as well. Absolutely. I'll say one of my initiates called me on. So I've mentioned before that I often think about the cross quarter days, like on the more astronomical date, which would put us closer to like the August 6th, 7th. But lots of cel- people celebrate or focus on like the actual date, which was August 1st, which also happened to be a full moon. And so like one of my initiates called me and he was like, so like it's llamas, it's the full moon, something else had happened. It it was happening planetarily. I don't know. And he was like, so like, I'm thinking like, what kind of witchcraft are you thinking about today? And I was like, I have a dentist appointment today. I am just kind of thought maybe I would go to the gym. And then I felt like a shitty high priestess. So if you're listening to this, uh, initiate good job for being more on point than I am because I was like uh yeah great point so much you magic to about, be done today you were thinking about bulking witchcraft right yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> Lift, about it. lifting craft but lift craft a nap most likely um <laughs> okay anyway so that about brings us to the end of this episode today we've talked about spell work, considerations for crafting your own spells, different components of spells, and some of the different forms spells can take, and uh, barely touched upon the cross-quarter days of Imbolc and Lamas, but honestly, like, we've done that a few times now. You guys should figure that out. 
If you listened to our last episode on ethics, which was episode 29, then you know that we are not very hung up on ideas of karmic backlash in terms of our magic. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be careful what you wish for. Taking the time to do some reflection on why we don't have what we want yet and on being specific about what we're hoping to attain can be critical to the success, failure, or mistakes of your own spells. So just keep that. That's like your lesson for the day. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches. That's four is in the number. Twitter as Circle for Witches or email us at circletalkforwitches at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, thoughts, or ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. From all of us at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet Again.